You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Lin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and selling your home to live and to sell. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 137. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. Congratulations to our August monthly challenge winner. And if you miss August monthly staging challenge, not to worry, we got another one this month. So the theme this month is kitchen. So send us a set of before and after photos, and we'll be selecting the submissions to send to apartment therapy as well. So if you want some great PR opportunity, this is the time to enter yourself. If you're also thinking about starting your home staging business, I will be teaching a free workshop on how to prepare for starting your home staging business. That's going to happen next week. I can't believe September already. Next week on September 14th, 16th, and also the following week on the 21st with live Q&As to follow. I'm also going to be hosting my usual Wednesday lunch hour. It's 12 to 1 p.m. Pacific Center time. So just hop on to ask all your questions about running or starting your home staging business. I would love to answer any questions. And you can also now register for a new free workshop by going to sagemore.com slash free workshop. You're also going to hear more about our open enrollment for our new home staging professional career certificate program next week as well. If you're curious about a career certificate, you can actually go to our website now at stagemore.com slash certificate and find out more about that. And when you're on our site, you're also going to see our new website. So it took me about three weeks of nonstop working on it to update it from Squarespace 7.0 to 7.1 because we had this website for a little bit more than 10 years, I think. There's just so much content that we have built up over time that we had to move over. So if you're on the new site now, the layer is much cleaner and also easier to browse, easier to navigate. We still have a lot of blog posts on the moving truck, so do bear with us while we finish up the move. But the most important bits, all the content and the major pages are now all up on our new website. So today on the show, I've got Nina on the show. She's the owner of ISO Design, serving realtors and homeowners in the greater Toronto area. And as a professionally trained marketer for more than 20 years, Nina understands the art and power of persuasion, marketing, and also influencing purchase behaviors. She combines her marketing and eye for design to help homeowners to improve their home's appeal and attract potential buyers. She has helped families to fall in love with homes at first sight with her award-winning home staging services. Nina holds a bachelor degree in business administration and is a certified ultimate stager and a member of the Professional Organizers of Canada. Her staging company is recognized for her superior customer service by house, and she has also been featured on Rogers TV, Rocky Biz Radio, and our very own podcast, The Home Staging Show. She's also the host of Ask Nina, a monthly Facebook live show. She's been teaching the value of home staging and staging as a marketing tool to real estate agents in the greater Toronto area since 2016. So Nina has had a lot of great experiences in the staging industry. She's also one of our finalists in this year's International Home Staging Award. So this is going to be a really good, solid episode, especially if you're new in the business. We're absolutely going to talk about pricing objection in this episode. So that's it. Let's start the show. back to the show. So it's been a while since our last podcast interview. Tell us a little bit about your home staging business and how you got started for our new listeners. Yes. Hi, Cindy. Thanks for having me back on the show. It has been a while. 
but I am so excited to be back on the show. And yes, my business has grown. When I was on the show, I was still fairly new. My company is just over six. Well, I guess we're halfway through the year now. So six and a half years old now. So I've been doing this for some time now. And it's been exciting, challenging, but we continue to grow. So that's been an exciting part of the business. And I'm quite happy about that. That's great. How has your business grown in the past few years? Well, in terms of, I guess, the number of projects and the expansion, right, too, right? So with staging, there's always the redesign work. So that side of the business has grown also. When I started, it was always meant to be organizing and staging because I thought that it always went in hand in hand. This year, I also rebranded as well. So when I first started, my company was called iStage and Organize because I wanted to sort of highlight both. And I thought that having the organizing part could also fill in the gaps for when things are a little bit quieter, like in the winter time, right? But I felt that I was pigeonholing myself into the organizing part and the design part of my business wasn't standing out. And so this year, at the beginning of the year, I rebranded myself to ISO Design. And so I still kept the ISO part in my company, which is the staging and organizing, but I added the design part so that it stood out a little bit more and it elevated my company a little bit more as well into the design side. So that has been a significant change and shift in my business. And that has definitely sort of helped with the growth side of it as well. Yeah, no, I love hearing that because I think most stagers, when they're first starting out, they're not really thinking about, oh, I can actually rebrand down the line. Mm-hmm. They feel like, well, I need to put out a logo that is basically how my business is going to be for the next X number of years, right? So there was like that pressure of hiring someone or, you know, getting a really nice looking logo, but you actually just start working and then tweak yes. the brand as you go. Mind you, the idea to rebrand has been in my head for at least several years, but I was concerned about making that change. Will, you know, will it be difficult? Will people forget who I am? You know, the switch over with my website, the switch over with the email and the contact information, plus all the marketing materials, right? So there was an added cost to doing all of that. And so it did hold me back a little bit, but this year with the pandemic and whatever's been happening, I said, you know, this year's the year. You know, there's no better time for it. And I went ahead and I did it. Even in the middle of a pandemic with so much uncertainty, I absorbed the cost of rebranding and I'm so much happier and business has been so much better. That's amazing. I love hearing that. I do think it feels like a new haircut, isn't it? It's like a new, fresh energy when you're rebranding. For sure, for sure, for sure. And and you know what? Even though I was so concerned about it initially, like the switch over with the email, am I going to lose people and they're not going to be able to find me? It's been pretty seamless, honestly. Because right now, I'm still in that transition period where I still have all those emails but they're being redirected to my new email. And then I have a tagline that's on my signature line that says, please note that my email has changed. So 
it's been very, very seamless. And, you know, all the concerns that I had that held me back from making the change earlier than this year did not come to fruition. That's amazing. That's great. So clients weren't confused at all. They were fine and they were actually excited about your change. Yes. And you know what? Even though I'm still getting some emails with my old email address, that's okay. Like I think that over time, it's going to be less and less and it has been less and less. But I'm giving it a year for the transition to happen, to be complete. That's great. So what did you do for your rebrand? It sounds like you got a new logo and you changed your business name as well. So does that mean you had to change your website and all that? Yes, I did. I had to change my website. I had to change my logo. I had to change my business card. I had to change my brochure. I had to go and (laughs) I'm not quite complete yet, but I have to notify all of my suppliers. I had to notify my clients, but lots of marketing stuff, like printable stuff. The only saving grace is that because we are in a pandemic and there's no industry shows, I haven't had to change the banners and things like that. So (laughs) I'm kind of waiting on that for a little bit. Yeah, that's great. A lot of times people just rebrand their existing look and feel, you know, like the logo, the colors and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. because that's what we did. But it sounds like you did a complete rebrand where you just completely changed the name. Well, no, I kept my color. I kept the color so that at least there is that continuity to the new brand, but mainly it was a brand new name. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your real estate market now. So I know you moved since we last talked. So you move an hour away. Yeah. And so what is your real estate market like now? And how has the pandemic changed everything for you? Oh, my goodness. The real estate market in the Toronto area or Ontario market, really, I think Canadian market has been really, really hot, like really, really hot. Things are crazy. Things are moving so fast. Mind you, the last couple of months, there's a lot of talk that sales are slowing down, but then so is supply. Like listings are down as well. Our government put in a new mortgage rule. And so buyers are sitting back a little bit, waiting a little bit, but then so are sellers. Like they're not listing as much. And we're in the summer months as well, right? However, you know, what that means is that in February, March, and April, some homes had 20, 30 offers. Now, there are still multiple offers, but there might be, you know, three, four, and five, right? But it's still hot. Like, if it shows well, if it's priced well, the properties are all moving. Like, I don't have any properties that are sitting around. They're all selling within the week. That's amazing. So are you getting all the pushback at the moment because the market is doing so well? Because that's what a consistent feedback we've been hearing from students and people in our community mm-hmm. that stagers are saying, well, the agents are just saying, well, it's everything is so hot. We don't really need staging. It's going to sell regardless. So are you getting that as well in your market? You know, it is so funny. There are just like really any business, any industry. There are two types of realtors, I find. There are realtors who are seasoned, who understand the value of staging. And then there are realtors who don't buy into staging. And the realtors who don't buy into the value of staging are the ones who are telling me, they come up to me and they say, things must be so quiet for you right now. Just like home inspectors, nobody's doing home inspection because everything is being sold firm, no condition. So 
nobody must be staging because everything is selling so quickly. But the opposite is true. My business is so busy. I'm having one of the best years ever because the flip side of that is that there are realtors who really understand the value of staging. And so they know that in this market, it is important to stage because you want to stand out from the rest of the competitor, right? If they're staging, you want to make sure that you're staging and your staging stands out above there so that if they're selling it for $100,000 more, you want to be the one to sell for $150,000 more, right? And so there's that competitiveness that exists in our market now, which is why these, you know, staging industry in our market is very, very busy. But like I said, there is that pool of realtors who don't understand or buy into the value of staging. And because they don't use staging, they don't call stagers, they don't realize how busy we are. That's great. I think it's also a mindset, isn't it? Because I think a lot of times people tend to focus like, well, I must convince this client to stage with me. But at the same time, if they're not seeing the value of staging, they probably are not great clients to begin with, no. right? Like no. we should focus our energy on the clients who already are converted about staging, that they believe in it. And then they know they need to one up their competitions on the market. Yeah. You know, in, in our market, like in the Toronto area, there are over, I believe now, 60,000 realtors. That's a lot of realtors. So for the few that says they don't believe in staging, that they don't need in, in need staging, there are just as many more that believe in the value of staging. Yeah, exactly. Do you still get a lot of objections when it comes to staging? Because it sounds like you're just working with consistent clients who really believe in staging. Yeah. No, I'm getting a lot of new clients as well this year. Clients who find me through Googling, they land on my website and they, they give me a call. So I'm getting really a mix. Obviously, you know, my, my true and loyal clients and then I get new ones as well. So the pushback is when they do find me, when they do call, obviously they believe in staging. They feel they need the staging, but the pushback is always priced. Some of the calls I get is that, you know, whether it's a realtor or the homeowners directly, I'm working with a very limited budget. So I need to keep it cheap, cheap, cheap. (laughs) So price is always an issue, but they know that they need staging. So they shop around, right? And I, I don't play into that game. When they tell me that they're looking for low budget, inexpensive, I tell them that, you know, I won't be the cheapest if they are shopping around, comparing. And I have people who find me on house too. And for me, it's very funny. When people call me through house, I already know that when they're on house, they message out to five or 10 other stagers, right? And so I already know what I'm up against when people call me and tell me they're, they found me on house, that they are price shopping. And so I don't play into that game. No, I agree with that because they are price shopping. One of the later questions that I have for you, we might as well talk about it now because yeah. I know you list your pricing on your website. And I know there are some debates about this among mm-hmm. stagers, but some feel that you shouldn't have that pricing because you want to discuss it with the client in person, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. personally, we did also have a starting point on our website because I didn't really want clients who are not qualified. That's it's kind right. of like how... 
real estate agents work with buyers before the buyers start. They usually ask, are you pre-qualified with mortgage? Mm-hmm. Right? 100%. Because if you can't afford to buy a house, then why are we working together? And it's the same for us because we had a small operation. We weren't like a big staging company. So for me, every minute is very precious. And I didn't want to waste that time on people who are not qualified to work with me. So what is your thought on the single price on the website? Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, I, I put a starting price on my website because I want transparency. Same thing, right? I want people who visit my website who are looking for me to know that what my kind of minimum is going to be. And if they're not within that range, then they're going to move on. And I'm okay with that because they're not going to be a good fit for me. I know that I'm going to lose out based on price alone. And I'm okay with that. So my specific reason for putting a starting point on my website and having full transparency is because I want to weed out those tire kickers, right? It helps when they've looked at my website, looked at the starting point. If they find that they still want to talk to me, then we know that we have an opportunity to work together. But if not, then they just move on and find somebody else. Mind you, I do get people calling me and say, oh, so you can do a stage for $3,000 because that I, is it 3000 or 35 is what I put for a minimum for a vacant stage. And I tell them, well, that's the starting. <laughs> it's from. <laughs> and they think, oh, you can do this. And so people don't really read either, right? They see this number and they think that that's what it is. Yeah, I find that as well. Because you know how people call you. They already seen your website. They like the work. They want to hire you. And then they want a ballpark, right? Yeah. But somehow they was listen only for the lower number. They don't <laughs> register the higher number. I know. And so I actually tend to bump up my lower number as well. Because mm-hmm. I know then there's a kind of wiggle room as well. If they come yeah. back and be like, oh, that's a little bit more than we bargained for. So they don't get a sticker shock when they see the proposal. Yeah. I think pricing is really a tricky issue because market to market is so different. So when you first started out as a new stager, how did you figure out what to charge your client? Well, when I first started out, obviously my hourly rate was a lot lower. And for me, obviously, I don't carry my own furniture. I carry accessories only and soft goods. So I don't carry the large pieces of furniture. So I rent all of that. So my rental fee... I know what they are. And so that has to be added. And then my my hourly fee. So obviously, my hourly fee has changed since when I started. It was a lot lower and now it's not. <laughs> and then in terms of the rental fee, I add in rental fee for furniture, for accessories, for my time to pack and prep, design, and then of course, for the labor as well. What I have is I built myself a template. So when I have to do a quote or a bid, I can churn out an estimate in minutes because I have this template. I just plug in if it needs a living room, a family room, dining room, kitchen, and all the formulas are there. And then in terms of accessories, same thing, you know, accessories for this room, this room, this room. I plug that in and then it comes out with a number at the end, what that fee looks like. And that's how I price all of my projects now. There's no guesswork. Obviously, I don't share that with my clients, but I'm able to come up with a number fairly quickly. And I know at the end of the day how much I'm going to be making. Yeah, no, I think having that pricing template is really key because Mm -hmm. you're working out all the different pricing 
that could influence that final price, right? And it's right. I, I also like that as well because then you're not forgetting anything, right? Right. Let's say yeah. you usually you only have one assistant, but maybe for this yeah. job you add on another person. We were making sure all that cost is accounted for. That's right. Yes, because I rent furniture, I don't spend a lot of time going on to the rental company and say, this couch costs this much, this table costs this much, this credenza costs this much. I don't do that. I do a room because I've done this for so long now. I know for like a, a living room, I have a flat rate because I know exactly how much I will be able to get for that flat rate. And I also build in a buffer too, because it allows me to add stuff if I feel that the room needs a little bit more, or if the room needs that little bit nicer piece, I have that buffer in that per room rate that will allow me to do things like that. Yeah, I think having that buffer, it's really important. Yeah, and that's how I kind of surprise them too, right? You know, they expect a living room to have, you know, couch, a couple of accent chairs and a coffee table set, but I can surprise them with something else. Sometimes I have two couches in there because if the room calls for it to be big, but, you know, I don't have to go back and forth and nickel and dime them with how much it is. The buffer that I built into my per room rental rate allows me to make those adjustments. I love that. So as you grow your home staging business, how did you figure out when you want to raise your price? And how did you figure out how much that you should raise your price for? Yeah, you know what? Raising the price, I'm due. I'm due to increase my rate again because I've had my rate now for quite a long time. And last week I had an agent who contacted me because he liked what I did with another property that he bought. So his client, he was representing the buyer in this case. He saw what I did there. He really liked it. So he asked the representing agent for my contact information. And then he called me and he really liked what I did. But then again, he says he wants to cheap, 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 this and that. And I said, well, I'm not cheap. And then he asked me what my consultation fee was. And I told him what my consultation fee was. And he said, oh, that's way too high. You know, I'm used to paying $150. And I said, oh, gosh, I didn't even start out with $150, let alone where I'm at now. And I said, and I'm actually going to be increasing my rate, my consultation fee rate. (laughs) I'm sure he didn't like hearing that. But it's the truth. Like, I don't need to work with people who undervalue our services. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think it's really important to show our value and then stand our ground because I don't know how you feel about it. If it's just a few hundred dollars and it makes this client happy, then yeah, make that decision if it's worth it. Because yeah. if it's the top producing client, yeah, I'm going to budge a little bit. But if yeah. it's a one-off client and then it's like a huge gap of a thousand dollars, then that's not something that I feel like it's worth to invest to develop that relationship. Yeah. So I think it's great that you're really just very upfront and transparent about your pricing practice. Because yeah. I think that also helps to retain your clients well because they know that's how you run your business. Yeah. I'm a big believer that I rather work less and make more than to work more to make less. It doesn't make sense for me to do that. And could I have more staging projects booked? 100%. But you know, where does it end? That's the thing. Like when you start to discount, discount, the issue is there's always going to be somebody else who's going to discount it even further. Like there's no ending. 
I never played that game. And like my business could be significantly bigger, perhaps if I reduce my price, but I'd rather not. No, I agree with that. And also to lower the price for project means I have to do more projects to make the same amount of money. 100%. So I'm actually more burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In our business, it's not all that glamorous. I'm exhausted at the end of the day. You know, my hair is crazy. Like this past week has been so hot here where I am. I've never sweated so much and it's not glamorous work. And so I want to be able to work less and make more. Especially once you start growing too, you know, your client also grows because it, toward the end of my staging business, I only really work with top producer in the neighborhood that we worked in and we all came up together like we were once nobodies together and then we worked our way up to be you know the top producing people in our neighborhood in our niche and I think it's the same probably with your business too that your client are doing bigger listings your long-term client comes back time Mm -hmm. after time they're getting cooler houses as well probably Mm -hmm. you know just in general bigger listing prices And bigger houses too. So your capacity also has grown as a stager, I'm sure. Yes, I've been doing larger projects for sure, more luxury projects. But I do, I still lose some clients, you know, who feel that they've been pinched with their commission. And I lose, I lose them because they go and they find another stager who is a lot cheaper. And I've been told. Like, I don't know how much truth there is, but I'm sure there's some truth because I know that there are some stagers out there who are very, very inexpensive because they tell me some of these guys, like, I wasn't just a few hundred dollars more. I was like twice the price, right? And so I do lose some right now, but, you know, I'm thankful for the ones that are loyal to me and have stuck around and they're loyal because I'm dependable, I'm reliable, I show up when I say I show up and I treat them and their clients well. And, you know, they know what I'm about, right? They know that they can depend on me for the quality and service. Yeah, exactly. I think it's all about the value and how we are different from mm-hmm. the other people on the market. Like we really have to stand out, just like the listing, it has to stand out to get top dollar. We as stager also have to stand out to get top dollar for our services. 100%. 100 Yeah. And so how big is your team now? Because your business has grown. Are you still a solopreneur or do you have a team now? No, I have two assistants, two, three sometimes, assistants that work with me. And then I have movers that are on call when I meet them because like I said, I do the organizing and packing too. So when I'm there doing a consult and the client says they don't have anybody to move the heavy things because I tell them they need to move some of these things out. Like they have to pack up stuff. They have to move furniture out so I can bring stuff in. They don't have anybody. So I have movers on my team that will come in and move it to the garage, move it to the basement, move it to a storage unit. So I have people who I rely on to do that. And I'm very thankful that they've always do such a great job of serving my clients because my clients always say, oh, my God, the guys are so great. They were so nice. They were so careful with my stuff. And so I'm very, very, very thankful for that because, you know, that type of service sometimes is hard to come by and they always show up. That's important, too. Right. I'm very, very thankful for that. 
Yeah, you just never know what's the history behind homeowner's possession. I remember I did an Occupy project early on in my career and the homeowner asked me, is it okay we don't use this teapot for display? I was like, of course. She's like, it's my great, 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 great grandmother carried it over from Mayflower. That teapot was sitting on her lap and it was like a really important heirloom. I could not tell by just looking at the teapot. It just looks like a teapot. Yeah. So you just never know. I think that respect is really important in what we do. Sometimes we see the most intimate side of our homeowners' lives. You know, maybe it's, it's a tough situation. We once did this job where the homeowner had a really violent fight. We were all women crew at the time. And so I was like, oh my God, do I need to get everyone out of the house? You know, like you, you sometimes see the worst part of humanity sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and some of them, they get, you know, they feel embarrassed and ashamed, right? And they always say, oh, we're usually not this messy. We're just in the middle of packing everything up. I said, don't worry about it. I've seen it all. <laughs> no judgment here. Exactly. And I'm really curious about your workflow because I feel like I mostly interview stagers who have their own inventory. Mm-hmm. So for you, when you use a rental company, what does that workflow look like? Like, for example, for proposal, do you go and then pick out all the stuff first and then get the number from them and then put it in your proposal? How does it all work for you? No, that's what I meant earlier because I've been doing this for so long. I know. So I price it based on like a room. Just say for a living room, the average living room, the furniture that I'm going to put in there that I charge the client is going to be about $800 for that specific room. For a bedroom, whether maybe it's a king bed or a queen bed or a double bed or a single bed, I have a room rate for that. So it's a flat rate. But like I said, I have a buffer in there so that it will allow me to add things or if I have to take things away, if I take, you know, take things away, then I make a little bit more. But if I add things, then I'm still making money because I have that buffer in there, right? Wherever I can, I want to use good quality stuff, you know, and I always have a headboard with the bed. I always have the rug, a rug in the room and things like that. When I first started, that wasn't always the case. Like I I didn't always have a headboard with the bed, didn't always have a rug with the room. But now I do because I want my portfolio has changed significantly from when I started, right? And most of us do. Most of us look back from several years ago when we first started and we're like, oh my God, I can't believe that was <laughs> what I did. Because I priced it appropriately, it allows me to improve my portfolio. And like I said earlier, it takes me only a few minutes to put a quote together because I know, I know what these rooms are. So I don't have to go to the rental company and say, this chair costs this much, so I should add that. And this couch costs this much, so I need to add that. No, I don't do that. It's a room break. That's great. And do you have a few different rental companies you work with or you just work with the same one? Yeah, I do work more consistently with the one. Just as I want people to be loyal to me, I am loyal to my suppliers as well. Because when I'm loyal to my suppliers, then they will always come through for me. With my suppliers, I can call them and say, listen, the stage is tomorrow. I haven't ordered anything, but can you put aside time to deliver for me? And they will. You know, when I call them, I say, I need specifically something like this. They will come through for me. So having those relationships, whatever you want for your relationship with your clients, 
then you should do the same thing with your suppliers as well. And so that's how I live by, you know, I consistently use the same movers and as much as I can consistently use the same rental company. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think one of the concerns some stagers may have is that the inventory will look very similar. Like their portfolio mm-hmm. photos might look similar because it's a, probably the same few sets going around. But mm-hmm. I was looking at a portfolio that doesn't look like the case at all. No, because here's the thing. And the reason why I myself have decided that my business model will not include me carrying furniture is because I know what the advantages of carrying furniture is. I would make more money. Yes. However, it would require a greater investment on my end, warehousing, staffing, trucks, the whole gamut, right? And I can grow my inventory only ever so slowly. When I use a rental company, their inventory is massive. It's massive. And because I have access to multiple rental companies, I have access to tons of inventory where if I were to do it on my own, I wouldn't have that. And so, yes, my portfolio does look different because I have access to so much. Yeah. When I was starting staging, it was really difficult to work with rental company in my area because they had the same six sets of couches. And so very quickly, you know, I, I see postcards too from other stagers. I can tell where they rent this from because they have the same yellow sofa, the same blue couch, you know, like it's the same pattern over and over again. But I think now today, stagers have so many more choices just because the way our market has evolved. Mm -hmm. Also now there's Airbnb. So rental companies, because they need to feed that demand, they are investing more in a more diverse range of inventory as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Would you ever consider having your own inventory? It's always in the back of my mind. It's always in the back of my mind. Should I do it? Should I do it? But, you know, so far, it has worked out well for me, keeping to this model right now. I'm not saying never, never, but not right now. Yeah. And I know that you listed quite a few different services on your website. Organizing was something that you started out with. Do you still do organizing work? I do. I do. What I tell my clients is that we're a full service company for all the different stages of your home ownership, right? So from the time you live in it, need to love it, need to live in it, and need to sell it. I have all of those services so that the client, I'm able to serve them to all of the different stages. And that has been amazing. You know, and some clients, all they want is my packing and organizing service, which is great too, right? It's a different type of work. But I still love it. And it's a different type of transformation. I find that that type of transformation is sometimes even more rewarding because when the client has so much stuff, they've had so much anxiety built up. They've been so unhappy. And when they see all this newfound space, they feel so uplifted, so open, so renewed. And so I find that sometimes that work is actually more rewarding. That's great. And how do you balance these different services? Because I know obviously organizing is longer term, whereas staging is very quick. You know, we're in and out, done. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance all these different type of work? It's really honestly first come, first serve. And then it gets put into the schedule as to when we can get to it. And that's just how it is. And for the client in terms of organizing, there's really no emergency, 
Like there's no urgency because they they've taken years and years and years to build this up, right? And so when I'm able to squeeze them in into the schedule, they are fine with that. Staging is different. Often staging is like urgent, urgent, urgent. You know, they call today and they say, the list is going up in two days. Can you stage tomorrow? <laughs> you know, things like that, right? So there's a lot more urgency in staging, less urgency in organizing, and definitely less in design because design is a long, long process, right? Yeah. And with your design work, do you also take on wholesale? Because a lot of designers do order stuff, you know, custom stuff for their clients. Do you do that as well? Like how much design work do you do? Yeah. So I do do a fair bit of it. I would say that the majority of my business is staging and then the rest of it is split between organizing and design. But I do buy wholesale, even for accessories like artwork and rugs and the small tabletop decor and things like that. I buy wholesale as much as I can because I make more money, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes, I make more money doing that. And I'm able to turn, start to make a profit on those items much sooner. And what happens is that this year, I have sold so many products because the stuff that I put in the client's home, they like it. And they're like, oh, would you sell them to me? I'm like, sure. <laughs> Anytime they want to buy it, I'm like, sure. <laughs> that It allows me to refresh my inventory and then I sell it at retail. So, you know, I buy it wholesale. I sell it at retail. Amazing. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I see that you also do holiday decor as well. So how do you usually get your holiday decor clients? I start to market it in and around October for holiday decor. And it's on my website too. So people find that information on my website and they call me. But I start to market it around the October timeframe for holiday decor. And that usually works out well. I've done actually one of the ones that I, a special occasion, which is birthdays and whatnot, right? Weddings, showers. But I also did one for a funeral memorial as well, because the families were so overwhelmed. There was just so much emotion, so much stuff that needed to be done, so much detail. So they asked me to decorate the hall where the memorial was going to be held, right? So it's still designed, it's still decorating, and I still love it. So it's a different type of event, but we do them all. Our skill set translates to that very well as well. I also used to do holiday decor. I also used to do windows for, you know, big corporate stores like Ralph Lauren. I used to freelance. And then I also did weddings too, you know? When there's downtime, I take whatever job comes my way. 100%, right? You know, staging has this up and down all the time. It's very seasonal. And so you have to fill in the gaps. Yeah. And also, I think it's a good learning experience to observe what other creative professionals do. And it's also Mm -hmm. great networking too. Because when I was doing visual merchandising, I met a lot of other visual merchandisers. And we actually use a lot of them to freelance for our home staging business because they're already used to weird hours. They're also good with display things. So <laughs> they're kind of like the perfect staging assistant. Yes. With our association, the Toronto chapter of Visa, we went into a nursing home and decorated a nursing home. So that was so nice. Like that was our sort of our charity, year-end charity event that we did. And they were so so grateful. They loved it. And it was, I can't remember how many of us were there, maybe 13, 14 stagers in the GTA area. We all got together and we decorated this home top to bottom. It was amazing. 
last Christmas, I did it because of the pandemic. They didn't allow me to go back into the nursing home to decorate the inside. So I decorated the outside. That is so nice. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So I made sure that, you know, with every room view that they're looking outdoors, that they can see some decoration. That is so nice. I think yeah. this is the thing that people don't realize. We actually have a lot that we can give back, you know, even yeah. just through design and staging. There's so many people who are in need of that kind of services or people who are displaced, for example, you know, like there are churches that help people to move into a transitional home. Right. Yeah. We can actually volunteer as a charity to help them with that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's amazing. Yeah. I once worked to help with the Women's Abuse Center helping a young woman and her daughter to move into a new home that they had found for her and did up for her. And so I went in there as part of the team to help decorate and organize her new home for her and her daughter. And what would you say were some of the biggest lessons you've learned in the past few years in your staging business? I've learned to be very efficient in what I do efficiency is time, right? And time is money. So I had to make sure that whatever it is I do that I'm very, very efficient at so that I'm spending as little time as possible in order to make sure that my hourly rates are not being chipped away because I'm spending too much time at the project. I learned how to price properly. I've learned how to stick to my guns about pricing. I've learned to be more confident in myself, right? Believing in myself because when you lose project after project after project, because you're told that you're priced too high, it starts to chip away at your confidence, right? And so I'm lucky that I have some staging colleagues that I can turn to and talk to. And they reassured me that I'm at the right place and that don't lose so much confidence that I would want to even consider to compete with the low price stagers, right? And I never wanted to be that. I never did that when I started. So I don't want to do that now. So I think over the years, it's just really the more you do, the more confident you can become, right? And I've learned to do that. Yeah, I think that community support is so important to have that sound before that people can give you feedback and encouragement is so 100%, great. 100%. 100%. And what would you say is your number one tip for home stagers who are starting out in the staging business? Oh, gosh, yeah. You know what? The same tip that others have given me is that don't undervalue your services. Like I said earlier, the pricing game never, ever ends. Even if you discounted somebody else is going to discount it some more. So it's never ending. Where do you draw the line, right? And so don't play that game. Elevate, uplift our industry. The reason why our industry is as such is that we have very skilled and talented people and we bring a lot of value to the real estate business and to the homeowners. They stand to make hundreds of thousands of dollars more these days, you know, realtors stand to make tons more through their commission, right? And so why should we be the one to make minimum wage when the realtor can make tens of thousands through commission? Just think about it. Even if they had to discount their commission by half a point, one and a half or two percent on a million dollar property is still a heck of a lot of money. So why should I have to cut 
several hundred dollars so that they can pocket those several hundred dollars. It doesn't make sense to me, right? And, you know, for me, what I've done over the last few years is that what I've realized is that when realtor calls me to say, oh, can you come and take a look at the property and then give me a quote? What I realized was that they were calling me along with three or four other stagers. And because I don't do the discount route, I always lost out on those projects. And so over the last, I would say, four years or so, what I started to do was I've implemented an estimate fee. So what that means is that for me to come out to look at the property and give a quote, I charge a fee to do that. And the majority of them will say, no problem. There are some of them say, oh, no, no, nobody's charging me an estimate fee. That I know that they're already price shopping and then we move on, right? They don't use me, which is fine. But the majority of them tell me no problem. So my estimate fee, I charge $150 to go out and do an estimate, depending on the distance. But I tell them if they move ahead with me, I will credit that back to them. Not the consultation, just the estimate, right? Because usually it's a vacant property. So I just go to see what the house requires. But I charge an estimate fee and I'm proud that I have that fee because I weed out all those tire kickers and all those people who are going to look for those discount stagers. So I think that I'm one of the few who have that fee structure in place. A lot of people just do it for free and I won't do it for free. I love that because we did the same because I was so sick of it. There was one appointment I still remember. She just basically called me out and took fully advantage of me. Like she just tried to squeeze as much information for free as possible. And that appointment should have been half an hour. It was like an hour. And I remember walking out just like, this is last time I'm done. And so we start implementing that fee and some people bulk at it, but I'm like, well, you're not my client. And also, actually, that was at a time, like, our dog actually just had a cracked tooth. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really obvious she needed some dental work, which is funny if you think about it. But the vet was like, okay, yeah, we'll charge a consultation fee on her tooth to examine the scope of the dental work. And I was like, well, if they're charging me to do dental work on my dog, why shouldn't I charge my staging client for coming out to do an estimate? Like, I need to be compensated for my time. Yeah. So we start doing it. And actually, that was a game changer for us, too, because our booking rate was so much higher. I think also because people have to pay a friend. In a way, they start to have a relationship with you. They're invested in you. Yeah. And also, they're like, well, I already spent 200 bucks have her coming out. Yeah. So I don't want to lose $200. I should yeah. just hire her to do the staging. Exactly. Well, you get better quality clients, too, right? Yeah. You know, because it's true. Like, they're not going to be price shopping. Like, Majority of the time, I tell them I do have an estimate fee. I credit that back if you move ahead with me. They said, okay. I send them an invoice. They pay it before I go. Boom, bought your uncle, right? But if they decide that they don't go with me and they found somebody cheaper, at least my gas has been compensated for, right? Like, you know, my gas and my mileage has been compensated for, not necessarily my time. But at least I don't feel like I've lost out on a complete waste of time. And I won't do that. No, I 100% agree with you on that. (laughs) So thank you so much again for being part of the show today. And congratulations for being a finalist in our awards this year. That was amazing. 
it's really great actually to see your work and see how much you have grown as well as a stager. I mean, the conversation is totally different today. I feel For like it's sure. nice to hear all this progress and the way you learned in the past few years. So that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the award. And thank you so much for that. And thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Happy staging.